Amen. Well, it's uh, been a joy to be with you over these uh, four sessions, and uh, we've come to the last one tonight. Uh, there are still some of the uh, Solid Foundations books for those who may be interested. Um, those are there. Bro Brother Pete has the uh, has the memory stick, right? Yeah, but you have them on your computer, so so if you need a copy, then uh, you can get those from him. Amen. Well, let's uh, let's start and let's go to the book of Galatians, Galatians and chapter 5. So I'll read first and then I'll uh, recap for those who weren't here in the first sessions and then we'll get into uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5 and we'll read 16 through 26. Galatians chapter 5 from verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, let me see. I'm going to have to move this over a little. So, we said that man is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And this comes from Ephesians chapter 1, chap, uh, verse, uh, Ephesians, uh, first, uh, sorry, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, uh, where he says, I pray that your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord. Now, the body is easy because that really is the physical part which we see and which we uh, know so well. And we said that there are five um, senses through which the body communicates, or which the soul really communicates with the outside world, and through which the world communicates with my soul. And I just put the two up here, the ear and the eye, which are the most important, and then of course there's a smelling, touch, and taste. And so the soul is the real me uh, who lives inside of the body. That is my personality. Um, and that is made up of three parts, the emotions, the will, and the mind. The emotions, of course, is what we feel with. Uh, the will is what we decide with. The mind, what we think with. And uh, sometimes the scripture speaks about the heart, uh, referring to the mind, and sometimes uh, the heart uh, refers to the spirit. So it's difficult sometimes to uh, deal with this word heart. The mind is divided into uh, the thoughts and the intents according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. So my thinking, or my mind thinks, and it doesn't just think 
but it decides to make certain decisions, to do certain things. And so the, those are the intentions which we find in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4. So we, we have these other words here, um, natural, carnal, and fleshly. Uh, for those who haven't been here before, if you can't read it, it's all Greek. Um, but the, we're going to speak about fleshly tonight, and we're going to deal with this quite extensively. Then we have the spirit. In the unbeliever, the spirit is dormant or dead, but in the believer, we come alive. You who are dead in your trespasses and sins are alive to God. And God dwells in our spirit. The spirit is the part that is in touch with God. And even in the unbeliever, there is that, that void which only God can fill, uh, which we try to fill or the world tries to fill with all sorts of other things. And it never is satisfied because only God can fill, can fill that void, which is, uh, which is the spirit. In the believer, the spirit is alive. And God resides, if you will, in there. And obviously we're using very crude terms here. Um, but the, uh, the, my spirit, we saw that if we are one with the Lord, then our spirit is one with His spirit. And so His spirit is united with my spirit. And so we have the still small voice of the spirit, which communicates from inside. And so the problem, of course, now is that we have uh, two opposing forces. We have the flesh. Um, and maybe I should write it so you can read it. We have the flesh. And we have the spirit. Now, the question, of course, is what is the flesh? And we touched on this, I think, in the first session. And there was a, a, a little bit of disagreement on that. Uh, but the flesh is not just the body. I think that we often see the flesh just as being my body and that my body is the problem. Uh, well, my body really is not the problem. The Greeks had a problem with this because uh, in their Gnostic thinking, they believed that anything that was of the body was bad. And so the body had to be destroyed in order that the spirit might uh, come forth. And of course, on that basis, they had a problem with Jesus coming in the flesh. And that's why John in his epistle says that if anyone says that he did not come in the flesh, then he is, uh, he is an unbeliever, he has denied the faith. Um, and so uh, to them, the idea that God could come in a fleshly form uh, was absolutely ab abhorrent to them. Now, that, we don't believe that that is correct. Uh, the, the body really is, uh, is fairly um, amoral. It's, it's neither good nor bad. It's really what my soul, and particularly what my mind, makes it to be. Um, so I can use my body to serve God, and I can use my body to serve my selfish desires. And so if we, and I'm going to just jump around in this passage here in, uh, in Galatians, but in verse 19 he then gives the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. And so here's a good understanding of what the flesh is all about. And you'll see that the first part, of first few things there, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and sorcery. Now, all of those things are things that are done with the body, but they are not only done with the body. They begin in the mind, in the soul, and find their expression through the body. But then, if you look at the, at the rest of that list, um, 
hatred in the middle of verse 20, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy. Where are those things? Those things have nothing to do with the body. They have to do with the mind and some, to some extent the emotions, but they have to do with the soul. And they are not necessary. They could be expressed through the body. And so you'll see that he speaks there about heresies. So heresy obviously begins in the mind, but it finds an expression through the body as I speak. And someone else hears uh, that heresy declared. Um, outbursts of wrath. Uh, outbursts of wrath is not something that my body just does. My body doesn't just suddenly decide to get angry. Uh, the body doesn't have a mind of its own. Uh, I know some, sometimes we feel it is that way because of the struggles that we have with our bodies. And sometimes we think that the body just does what it wants to do. No, it cannot do what it wants to do. It, it, it is totally under the control of my mind, my will, and my emotions. And so when we speak about the flesh, and we're going to speak a lot about the flesh, and this war then between the flesh and the spirit, we're not referring to the body alone. We're referring really to the soul more than to the body, but the soul then expresses itself through the body. Now, if we go to the beginning of that passage in uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this really is the secret to victorious Christian living, walking in the spirit. And we touched on this, but I want to spend a little bit more time on that this evening because it's such an important concept. When we speak about walking in the Spirit, uh, people tend to have all sorts of strange ideas. They say, well, you know, somehow I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit and, you know, I float around in some kind of altered state of consciousness and, uh, you know, I really don't have control. And uh, No, that's not what he has in mind when he speaks about walking in the Spirit. But walking in the Spirit really, uh, and the Amplified Version translates it very well, uh, and says, walks after the dictates of the Spirit. And so here's the thing. The Spirit is giving me instructions. It's telling me to do certain things. It's telling me not to do other things. But at the same time, my soul and my body are contrary to that and giving me a different set of instructions. And if I am going to be following the Spirit, then I'm simply walking in the Spirit, or after the Spirit, or after the dictates of the Spirit. And so the, the same applies really to the mind. If the mind, and we'll, we'll probably see tonight uh, that, that it, the Scripture speaks about a carnal mind, or a spiritual mind. When we are newly saved, our minds have been programmed. And, and the mind really is a computer to a large extent. And uh, we have that saying in computers, garbage in, garbage out. You can't put, you, you know, if, if nonsense comes out of the computer, it's not because the computer did something wrong. It's because you put something wrong in there. The, the computer can only produce what you put into it. And the same with my mind. My mind produces what I put into it. And that's the problem. So when we come to Christ, our minds have already been programmed by the world. 
to think its way. But, but more than that, the world is constantly attacking my mind through what I hear and what I see, primarily. The other senses to a less extent. And so constant, and so the, uh, the learned people speak about 5,000 messages, and I think that that's very conservative. 5,000 messages a day, bombarding my mind. Buy this, think this way, vote for this one, have these values. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. And so constantly my mind, the world is trying to program my mind. And if I'm allowing the world to, to program my mind or allowing the world to shape my mind and my thinking, then I am by definition carnal or fleshly and, or my mind is carnal and fleshly. And that will find its expression in the way that I decide that my will and find an expression in what I do with my body. If, on the other hand, I'm allowing the spirit to have input into my mind, what will happen is that my mind becomes spiritual. The problem is that it's, it's not... Uh, I wish it was a, a once-only thing, that somehow I can uh, be zapped by God um, and I know some people teach this, but it, it, there's just no truth in it. Uh, but I somehow be zapped by the Holy Spirit, and now my mind has been totally reprogrammed. It's no longer worldly, it is totally spiritual. Well, if, if you have that formula, then, then please share it with me. I'd love to have it. Uh, but, but after being a Christian for many years, I, I still have not found that for myself. And so there's a constant struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Between the world trying to, for, to have control of my thinking and the spirit trying to have control of my thinking. Now part of the problem here is then that the average Christian goes to church for maybe an hour and a half a week. And some don't even make that. And so for one hour, and, and during in that hour there's... Uh, all sorts of other things going on, but, but let's say two hours, let's say conservatively two hours, I'm exposing my mind to the things of God. But how many hours does the world have input into my mind? Well, 16 hours a day, times seven, and that's more than I can figure out. <laughs> hey! Thank you, Andreas. Good to have clever people. 112 hours. I find. <laughs> 112 hours a week. The world is programming my mind, and 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 you know I'm I'm not trying to say that we are robots, but you you understand the the image. I mean, my mind is simply retaining what is being fed, and so 112 hours versus two hours. Guess who wins? And that's the problem. And so, as I allow the world to shape my thinking, I become carnal. And Christians wonder, and they say, well, you know, how come I cannot get victory? How come I can't, can't become spiritual? Why does I, do I have all of these thoughts? Thoughts of anger and of lust and of envy and of greed, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Well, guess what you're exposing your mind to? Now, obviously, we can't cut ourselves off from the world. Um, and of course, that, that, that is the whole idea behind monasteries and, and monks. 
uh, who will lock themselves up in a, in a cell somewhere in a monastery, uh, not being exposed to anything outside. Uh, but guess what? The, the, the mind is still so powerful uh, that it is still able to feed me with the wrong information, with bad information. So the answer really lies in a day-to-day obedience to the spirit and we praise God that even though I may only be exposed to the spiritual things for two hours a week and I trust and and you can see the importance then of being in fellowship regularly of praying regularly of reading the word of God regularly of thinking on spiritual things and Romans chapter 12 speaks about the renewing of your mind and so I need to have my mind constantly renewed I need to take those thoughts captive um, and um, uh, hopefully we have time to get to 2 Corinthians um, and speak about that for a moment. So let me, let me move on from that. And so really, but apart from that, I, I do have God's Spirit. And God is not just reliant on those two hours. He is constantly speaking to me and to, to you. I'm not saying to me, but to, to each one of us. Because He is dwelling within us. And we all the time hear the voice of the Spirit, but we don't hear. And you remember when we closed with the last, at the end of the last session, I spoke about that guy in the radio uh, uh, wireless band with all of these radios going on, and he was able to hear that one transmission that was important. The, all the others he was able to filter out. Now, that really is where we need to be at. We need to be hearing the voice of the Spirit over all of the information that's coming in. And the Spirit does speak to us, to every single one of us. Whether we're spiritual or carnal, whether we're a mature or immature Christian, the Spirit is speaking to us. And He's saying, don't do that. Don't think that. Don't go in that direction. And, or do this or do that. Or think along these lines. And the decision lies with my will. And that's where the, where the crunch comes. I have to make a decision. You see, now... There's uh, an impression that some Christians have based on uh, Romans chapter 7 that we're just a football um, or a soccer ball that's just being kicked to and fro between the flesh and the spirit. No, we are accountable, responsible for our decisions. Every, Every time the flesh tells me to do something, the spirit is going to tell me contrary. But... Oftentimes, I don't want to hear the voice of the Spirit. And so what do I do? I repress the voice of the Spirit. Because I will, I want to do what my flesh is telling me to do. I don't want to do what the Spirit tells me to do. And so I need to bring my will into subjection to the Spirit. I need to bring my mind into, in line with the speaking of the Spirit. And I need to bring my emotions in line with the leading of the of the Spirit. So let's go back then to Galatians 5 and verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, folks, that, that sounds like a magic formula. And, and it is in a sense. And it is 100% true. If, and just think about that. If I do everything the Spirit tells me, Will I ever do what the flesh wants me to do? No. It's, 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 it's as simple as that. Except it's not that simple. Because it's hard to do. The flesh tends to win 
more often sometimes than the spirit. But you can see that in that really lies the solution. If I can walk in the spirit, if I can obey the spirit every time, I will live a perfect life. Now, we, we spoke about this in one of the previous sessions. We don't believe in sinless perfection. We don't believe that you can get to a place where you will never sin again. Well, we, we do believe we'll get to that place. But that will be when we see Jesus. And we will be changed. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more flesh. And we will be totally spiritual. So you can see that the secret really lies, or the, 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 the degree to which I'm going to be spiritual, really lies in the degree to which I can obey the Spirit and deny the flesh. And of course, this is hard, because the world tells us, I wonder if I can do this. Uh, I'm not going to get it right. Nike. Is it back to front? What does it say? Just do it. Just do it. That is the message of the flesh. Just do it. And the Spirit says, deny yourself. Remember, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself. Say no to the flesh. Say no to what you want to do. Don't allow the world to shape your thinking that you can just do whatever you want to do. Alright, so verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so there's the problem. And so the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. They're at enmity and we're going to see this in Romans in a moment. Um, Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I'm not going to get into the law part there because it's going to uh, take too much time. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and he mentions what the works of the flesh are. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. Nine fruit of the Spirit. Now I want you to notice that he says the deeds or the work of the flesh, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. The deeds versus the fruit. The wonderful thing about fruit is that it is something which happens automatically. Happens automatically. You see, work is something I have to labor at. I have to sweat to produce something. But fruit trees don't sweat. Do they? No. They don't Travail. You ever seen a fruit tree? <coughs> what happens? It just grows. It just grows and the fruit just come. The fruit just come. Because the branches are grafted into the tree. And it's drawing the juice from the, from the earth and the light from the sun. And it just produces fruit. And, what, and didn't Jesus say, abide in me? And if you abide in me, you'll produce much fruit. And so, we, and this is, this is the problem, is that we, we, f we feel I have to work at this thing. But really the secret is to be abiding in the Lord Jesus. To be walking in the Spirit, in other words. And if I'm abiding in Him, in other words, I'm not leaving Him behind. You remember in, uh, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went to the temple and they went back and forgot that Jesus was back there. 
three days. Oh, where's Jesus? Ah, we, 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 we forgot him. And as Christians, we do exactly that. We forget him. And somehow he's left behind in the sanctuary or in my prayer closet or somewhere and I go on living my life. And I'm not in him. I'm not walking in him. I'm not abiding in him. And I wonder why I'm not producing fruit. And so let me, let me move on. And I, I'm jumping around here in my notes because I reordered things and I didn't have my computer to do that. So I want to, while we're here, go to Galatians 6 verse 8. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so there's a whole bunch of things there, but very quickly you can see the need for patience or endurance, not growing tired of living the Christian life, not growing tired of struggling against the flesh. And we, we do get tired because it's a war that never ends. It's a war that wears us down. But we need to not grow tired or weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now let's go to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> and as I said in the uh, first session, uh, th this session is particularly, we're, we're just going to go through these various scriptures and see the application of the principles that we established in the first few sessions. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And I, I really want to deal with 17 verses here, but I need to watch the time. So Romans 8 1. There is therefore no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Remember, abide in Him, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Same as in Galatians. Uh, now, I know some translations don't have those words, who walk in the flesh, but in the Spirit. But you'll find that it's, it's, it's in the rest of the chapter, and so it's quite legitimate to have it there. And so, there is no condemnation, not just to those who are in Christ. You can be in condemnation in Christ. If you are walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit, He's going to be convicting us. And we feel bad. And we say, well, we shouldn't feel bad. It's all right. You know, I'm saved. I'm born again. No, if I'm walking in the flesh, there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There is condemnation. Not condemnation in the sense of being, being cast into hell, but condemnation in the sense that I know that things are not right with, with me and, and, and the Lord. Now verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. When the, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, an account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now again, I'm not going to get into the law thing. We need a whole session to deal with that. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So now here's another dimension, another aspect. They set their minds 
on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? What is it that you set your mind on? And that word set really means what do you fix your mind on? Is your mind fixed on the things of the spirit? Or is your mind fixed on the things of the flesh? And that's really the, 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 the problem. And so those who live according to the flesh, verse 5, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, here's the uh, idea that I mentioned earlier, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So what is my mind? Is it a carnal mind or is it a spiritual mind? Now, let me just say also that in, in addition to the things that we've spoken about here, we, we must arrest our minds. We must bring our minds under control. Uh, in fact, if you keep your finger there, let's, let's go to uh, Corinthians quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And um, our sister mentioned this, I think, in the first session. Um, and for those who have the Building Blocks of Encouragement book, there's four chapters in there that deal with us in great detail. Um, and so I, I don't have the time to go into it in, uh, in, in much detail this evening. But verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh... Now, here when he says we're walking in the flesh, he is not meaning it in the sense that we've been using this. He is simply saying, if we are human, if we are human, if we are living in this body, um, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now I'm going to speak about this in much more detail on... Saturday afternoon uh, with the men's, uh, the men's meeting at Lionel Letcher's. So if you want to hear more about this, I'll, I'm going to deal with this there. But, but I want you just to, to notice that he speaks about strongholds. These strongholds are not demonic things. It's not dealing with my spiritual warfare with the de de devils. This is a war inside my mind. The strongholds are thoughts. The way you, you come to that conclusion is you see that uh, verse 5, casting down, sorry, verse 4, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so the strongholds, clearly, if you put those two verses together, read it in its context, the strongholds are arguments that are ungodly arguments. And this may be atheistic arguments, they may be sinful arguments uh, that I, you know, whatever arguments that's against God, against the Word of God, they become strongholds, and strongholds are fortifications. They are, they are um, hardened cities with stones of wall, walls of stone. Um, those who've been to Europe have seen these mighty fortresses. Yeah. Uh, in Germany and in, in other places. Impregnable sometimes. But those fortresses are built one stone upon the other. You don't, you don't just suddenly, wow, there, there it is, the whole thing, the whole castle is just there. 
No, every stone has to be built, one stone after the other. These arguments in our minds are stones of ungodly arguments that are built, and they become entrenched, and they become cemented into our thinking. And they may be arguments, they may be uh, thoughts of lust, or of anger, or of uh, inferiority, or of pride, or whatever it is. All sorts of addictions, all sorts of habits, all sorts of ways of thinking that are not godly ways of thinking. And they are built up over a long period of time, one brick after the other. Now, what he says then is what needs to happen is that those, those strongholds need to be broken down. And they are broken down in the same way as they are built up, one thought after the other. There is no magic TNT dynamite that can somehow just blow the whole thing apart. The same way as it was built, it needs to be broken down. And then he says, and here's the process. Casting down arguments, verse 5, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought under control. When something is brought into captivity, it is arrested and it is bound and thrown out. And so every thought must be brought under control. The idea that he is sharing there is bringing every thought into captivity or into control. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we have the armor of God. And you remember that there is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And the purpose of the belt is to stop the, 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 the uh, robes that they, they used to wear those days from getting in the way. And so, if you were going to do some hard work, or you were going to fight a battle, you needed to tie your belt around you so that your, your, your clothes don't get in between your knees and trip you up. But that's what our thoughts do. Our thoughts trip us up. And they flap all over the show. I've told you what I do in the middle of the night. My thoughts go all over, worrying about this and worrying about that and the other thing. And what does he say? The thoughts need to be controlled by the truth. Remember, the world and the devil does not deal in truth. Just eat this fruit and you're going to be just like God. It's not the truth. And so every thought needs to be brought under control. Folk, there is no room in the fortification of my life for enemy agents. Just one thought. And what's he going to do? You know the story about the Trojan horse. Hmm? It wasn't a horse. But they brought the thing into the city. And what was inside? Enemy agents. And what did they do? They opened the gates. And the enemy came in. Allow one wrong thought into your thinking. And what's he going to do? 
He's going to open the gates. And all the other thoughts are going to come flooding in, one after the other. And we wonder why we can't win the battle. We wonder why we lose every time. And here's the answer. Bringing every thought into captivity. You cannot allow thoughts, you cannot entertain thoughts in your mind that are not godly thoughts. doesn't matter what they are. Anger, frustration, hate. The list goes on and on and on and on. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The obedience of Christ. And so when I worry, what do I need to do? I need to obey Christ. And what does He say? No worries, mate. Is that what He says? Yeah. What are you worrying about? Tomorrow will take care of its own. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Worry is a sin. Because in worrying, I'm saying I don't trust God. And so I need to bring my thoughts under control. That I may be obedient and that my thinking may be obedient to Christ. Alright, let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I don't need to elaborate on that. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, because the Spirit is life, because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, now here's a very powerful thing which I can't explore, but maybe you can go home and, and examine for yourself. He is saying that if God's Spirit is dwelling in me, He is going to bring life to my mortal body. And I don't believe this is just on the day of the resurrection. Because what the soul wants, what the carnal mind wants to do, is it's destroying my body through sin. But if I'm obeying the Spirit, He will bring life into my body. And just let, let me just use my example of worry. When I worry at night, I wake up in the morning and I feel really alive. <laughs> no, I feel half dead. But if I can bring my thoughts into a captivity and if I can allow the Spirit going to bring life to my body. I'll rest. Now I know it's a simple ex example, but it's a very true example and it applies to almost everything else. I'm going to be refreshed in the morning. It's going to be new life in my body because I obeyed the Spirit. Alright, so let's go to verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so again, and I, I, I wish I had time to explore that, but he is saying the Spirit, the Spirit of God is not there to bring me into bondage. What wants to bring me into bondage? The flesh the, and the world and the devil. They want to bring me, but he wants to set me free. Um, 
Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we suffer with Him, we will also reign with Him. Now, Matthew 26, verse 41, I'm not going to go there, but uh, you can turn, you can look it up for yourself. But you remember in Matthew 26, Jesus is in Gethsemane. And there's a struggle. And there's really, and I'm oversimplifying it, but I believe that this is still within the realm of truth. There's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, it, for him, it's a lot more complex than that because the spirit really was his divinity. He was God. And as God, he knew that he must go to the cross. But his humanity, his flesh said, no ways. I don't want to go. Is that unreasonable? Of course not. None of us would want to die that kind of death. And none of us, and remember that his death was even worse than anything we can begin to imagine because the, the worst part of that whole process was he, him taking our sin upon himself. And he becomes sin for us. And that far exceeded the physical suffering. And so he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. But he struggles. And that struggle is so intense that the blood vessels burst on his forehead. And it's in this context, and listen carefully because you may not have seen this before, that Hebrew says, you have not yet resisted unto blood in striving against sin. In other words, we never get down to that point of so struggling to such a degree. And I've never met a man who struggled like that, that the blood vessels burst on his forehead. Why? Because we capitulate. We give in. Far long before we even get there. We just give up. And right there in the garden were three other men. And they had their struggle. And their struggle is between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh says, I'm tired. I want to sleep. The spirit says, pray. And who won? The flesh won. Can you see the, the poignancy, the, the drama of what is happening there? Jesus and the three, both struggling. The level at which Jesus is struggling is, I mean, the whole world, the whole future of the church, everything hangs on that struggle. The disciples just, just have to stay awake. But it's the same struggle. And Jesus says the answer is, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray. And folk, walking in the Spirit. I know sometimes we sin when we pray. When I pray for a big new Mercedes Benz. 
But if we're really in real prayer with the Lord, there's not a lot of sin there. When we're in the presence of God in, in the meeting and, we, and God is really touching and moving our hearts, the stuff that we struggle with out there fades away. So the answer is to be in prayer all the time. You say, well, that's hard. I can't do that all the time. Yes, we can. We can be in prayer all the time. Let me just make this very practical. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know nobody will confess to this, but how many of you speak to yourself? <laughs> well, well, how about speaking to the Lord instead of speaking to yourself? Yes. All day long. All day long. All right. It's, uh, we're out of time. Let me see where we can, where we can still get in. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. I was going to speak about worship, but we, we, we're not going to have the time. So let's just finish in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3. Now remember the Galatian problem was that they were saved... But they were saying, we need to go back to the law. We need to go back to circumcision and all of those things, uh, keeping days and, uh, and uh, Jewish feasts and all of those kinds of things. And Paul says then to them in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? You see, when we get saved, it's a work of the Spirit. You can't get saved through a work of the flesh. I know many people try, but you can't. You can be as religious as you like, you can give money to the church, you can join the church, you can get baptized a million times. It's never going to change anything. It's a work of God. It's a work of the Spirit. When God powerfully grabs hold of us and changes us and transforms us and the old things have passed away, all things have become new. That's how it all began. Now Paul says, that's how you started. Now, now you think you're going to finish the job in the flesh? No. We have to finish it the same way as it began. We have to finish it in the Spirit. And so, let's not rely on the flesh. The flesh cannot help us. In fact, in a very real sense, the flesh is our enemy. But it's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Spirit that gives us the victory. Amen. Um, we're a lot later than I was hoping for, but we can take some questions. Can we, Pastor? Yeah. Yes. Good. So, so no, I haven't got any question book here. No. Well, you got the answers. No, I <laughs> All right. Any questions? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Okay. Praise the Lord. Maybe so confused. No, it's wonderful. Thank you very much. And it's so important that we understand the Word of God. And uh, so I think we're going to sing one more song. And we thank our dear brother for ministering to us here.
And on Saturday, he is in Saturday afternoon, evening. Okay, good. And I think we 